Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like? Then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Today's Q&A actually is a summation of what I often get asked from many of you. The question sounds innocent enough, you know, how are you? And the question behind the question really is, we know you're a Black woman in a white male-dominated field. We know this country has a long way to go regarding race and gender relations. Uh, How does this prejudicial behavior really show up in anesthesiology? And as much as I want, you know, all of you all to at least experience the field, do a rotation. Um, I would be a fool if I didn't fully disclose, you know, the shadiness that you'll encounter as a woman, or if you identify as a woman, or being a person of color in this field. You know, anesthesiology is a great field to go into. Point of this episode is to mentally fortify you for shadiness you may encounter, and then give you strategies on how to respond. It's critically important for you to burn into your brain that when shadiness happens, it does not mean that there's anything wrong with you. You Medicine has a ways to go to address significant injustice. And in anesthesiology, we do see the differences and you feel the differences being a woman of color and how you're treated versus your non-melanated colleague. In this episode, we're covering the five ways prejudice shows up in anesthesiology. When when we identify shadiness, you know, our, it's our natural reaction to want to just either laugh it off or get quiet or you know, really try to remove ourselves. Um, but we know that avoidance just does not address the problem. We have to, as Ayana Vonzat said, call a thing a thing. There is power in calling out damaging patterns and trends. And to come up with the five ways that prejudice shows up in anesthesiology, I informally polled my colleagues. And some of you who are listening, you know, you might not be a woman or a person of color, and you might listen to these and say, hey, you know, these these happen to me, and I'm not in either of those groups. Look, I'm not saying that these five things are exclusive to being a woman or person of color. Honestly, sometimes new faculty go through a hazing period, and for a, a spell, they may encounter these situations as well. So. 
what are the five ways prejudice shows up within anesthesiology? Number one, no grace for mistakes or even suboptimal situations. So let me give you an example. Okay. Uh, A chunky three-month-old comes to the OR and after induction, it takes like 30 minutes to get an IV. Uh, You're the attending, your trainee tries, you try as the attending, but veins are just blowing. You send someone to go look for the vein finder and another to look for the ultrasound. But minutes go by and your tech comes back empty-handed. The vein finder's broken, not yet repaired. And the cardiac and regional teams are using the ultrasound. By this time, you're flustered and you manage to find a Hail Mary vein in the scalp. Now, the case continues without a hitch, um, but you do notice the tone of the room change. You know, the circulating nurse starts criticizing and questioning what you do. You feel as if all your movements are under this magnified glass and that you have to explain every little thing that you do. Now, there's this whole like blame anesthesia culture and we laugh at it, but this is even taking it a bit too far. And in another case, later in the day, you know, your patient desaturates, right? And you rescue them, but, you know, overall, you're flustered. Now, if you're a trainee and you discuss this issue with your program director, do not be surprised if instead of being told, you know what, it just sounds like you had a bad day and offering you some words of encouragement, if that program director says, oh, well, maybe anesthesiology is just not for you. And making a suggestion to quit. We know in the literature for other people of color, this is not an uncommon experience. We encounter challenges and we're just told to give up. Your non-melanated colleague may be strongly encouraged to continue and that, hey, you just had a bad day. It's not a bad career choice. As a result of our credibility constantly being questioned, many of us become incredibly prepared, not only with our anesthesia plan, but also all the reasons why we are not going in a different direction. The upside to being criticized is that we then become these super physicians because we've already thought of all of the different techniques, presented arguments for why we aren't going with those different techniques and are prepared with our plan A, B, and C. Now, um, we all know that suboptimal events are going to happen in the operating room. And we expect our team to rally together. We're supposed to support one another. But unfortunately for women of color, you know, these events become a reason to blame and criticize and devalue your contribution. So look, when you get that sinking pit of your stomach feeling that something is wrong and you're not treated right, it's really critical for you to document that. 
Share it with your program director if you're a trainee or if you're attending. Let your chief know. An email is time and date stamped. So no one can say they did not receive it. Some organizations have safety reporting and unprofessionalism is an option on uh, many of these systems. And I do advocate strongly writing it up because if you're being overly criticized and harshly watched, they're writing you up. I'm not saying we're going to do a write-up war, but when you get that sinking feeling that "Mm, this doesn't feel right, get ahead of it. Do not think that this is going to blow over because guess what? In just a few weeks time, when you've pretty much forgot about this entire situation, an email will come from your supervisor asking for details surrounding this episode because the nurses decided to write you up. Or even worse, the supervisor may instead uh, of asking for details to get a complete picture, may just start lecturing you as if the nurse reporting was an accurate picture. And I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of reports that we see are frankly just straight lies, pure fiction. So again, it's critical for you to stay ahead and be proactive and not reactive when you get that sinking feeling that something isn't right. So please follow that. And when you document, outline the situation, your response, the outcome, and suggestions on how future encounters can be improved. So number one was no grace for mistakes. Number two, case assignments. Many of us, as we're training in anesthesiology, we expect to be in the operating room, taking care of complex cases. Uh, But the reality is when you're an attending, I mean, those offsites need to be covered too. Interventional radiology, MRI, GI. And unfortunately, you may find yourself solo performing these cases, which really sucks because often these are the patients that are too sick to undergo an actual surgery. And there will be a lot of these patients on your schedule. Uh, The offsite is also a place where drugs may be expired because pharmacy isn't regularly turning over those trays as frequently as in the operating room. You know, the equipment you need might not be readily available or they might not be functional. So your vigilance has to be incredibly high. Not only that, help might not be as readily available too because your tech is probably covering like all of the offsites and not just your area. In a perfect setting, the responsibility of covering these offsites really should be shared amongst all the group. However, there are times where You may feel like you're disproportionately always in IR, GI, or MRI. If that is the case and you enjoy it, fine, right? Express that you enjoy it and make it a clear declaration if this is where you find your passions coming alive. However, if it's not uh, and you're just swallowing this pill, I mean, you are at high risk of really burning out quickly. If you feel as if you're spending a disproportionate amount of time at these sites, one, ask your administrator to pull the numbers. What are the average number of days attendings are assigned the offsite and what are your averages? 
Because once you have these hard numbers, you can go to your chief and address this discrepancy. And then the person who makes the OR assignments can keep that in mind so that every third day you're not at some offsite. And I would also encourage you to make requests for the cases that you want. So just take it into your own hands because by doing that, then the default for you will not be the offsite. So case assignments is another way that shadiness can sometimes show up. Number three, you aren't offered leadership positions. And even much less than that, you're not even called doctor in front of patients. So the first one, not are offered leadership opportunities. We have to set ourselves up for being top of mind so that when opportunities come up, you're thought of. Because honestly, when leadership positions are publicized, usually by then it's too late. You know, the spot has already been accounted for. People already have a a candidate in mind and the position is just made public as a legality. Like they have to publicize it to keep the illusion that everyone has the opportunity to go for it. But behind the scenes, somebody's already been chosen. So what does this mean? If you If you can't wait for positions to be publicized and then say that you want them, how do you, how do you align yourself for opportunities that really could be incredible experience for you? Dr. Amber Brooks in season two, episode six and seven, really goes into detail of laying the groundwork for how to position yourself to receive these kinds of opportunities. And it all starts with forming a relationship, forming a relationship with your chief, with your program director, if you're a trainee, so that you can be top of mind. So I encourage you to listen to her episodes as to the details uh, of how you can align yourself. Now, the second part, not being called a doctor in front of patients. When this happens, and the first time this happens, You really do have to pull the staff member aside that, hey, when we're in front of patients, I am to be referred to as doctor. Women are often called by their first name and not their professional titles when they're introduced on panels, speaking publicly at conferences. And we could feel uncomfortable, but we do have to remind the staff member, remind anyone who's doing this every single time this happens. Um, please do not assume that, oh yeah, you know, they just, yeah, they did that that one time, but surely the next time we work together, that won't be a common thing. It will, it will. So we have to call it out when it happens the first time so that this does not become a pattern of behavior. So that was number three, not being offered leadership and not being called doctor. Number four, negative feedback on your evaluation. um, It's not uncommon for us as women of color to have concerns on our evaluation, like things seriously like diva, hard to work with, unreasonable, abrasive. And I say, look, if you see this on your evaluation, congratulations. It is a rite of passage in medicine if you are a Black woman. 
we get this label every time we speak our mind. And for some reason, just using our voice is seen as being difficult. So understand that when this happens to you, you are taking your place amongst great women. Uh, Margaret Thatcher had said, no well-behaved woman ever made history. That aside, you know, when you actually look at your physical, you know, file and what is being said about you, I would challenge every comment. I had received an abrasive comment on my evaluation. And when I asked of a example of how this showed up on my report, this was, this is what I was told. At this organization, the attending that drops the child off in the recovery unit is the person who uh, the PACU nurse will call to sign out the patient so the patient can be discharged. Unfortunately, by doing this, though, it can often interrupt my care of the next patient. So, for example, in the middle of inducing my patient, I'll get a phone call from the PACU and obviously I can't answer it. So when the induction is done and we're all stable, I'll call back. I would say, how can I help you? And I fully expect them to tell me what it is they need, you know, and we can move forward. But apparently, apparently the expectation for me, I didn't ask that nurse, how are you doing? How was your weekend? You know, I I wasn't personable. And I'm like, how is, just taking a step back, you know, if I was a man, would I be expected to make small talk in the middle of patient care? That just doesn't make sense to me. Why is that burden placed on me to make this small talk? And I'm like, how is that abrasive? Now, granted, at at the time I was practicing in the South, Uh, And so these rules, these separate rules for men and women very much exist, but that does not qualify as being abrasive. And so, yes, I challenged that and that comment was removed. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Ask for examples, question, and if the comments aren't accurate, then they need to be changed. Um. So clarify anything that's written about you that's unclear and ensure that your supervisor makes those necessary corrections. So number five, we're often the workhorse of the department. Now, as a trainee, honestly, it really is easy to get stuck in running the rat wheel of clinical care. And then you just keep do, 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 do. And you look up and already it's your last year and you don't have a clear idea really of like what you like or how you want your career to take shape. And I say, please don't let this happen to you. I mean, if you continue to just run the rat wheel, um, no one no one is going to grab you by the hand and, and force reflection on you and say, hey, wait a minute. Um, what is it that you like and don't like? You know, I say after each rotation, ask yourself, 
What did you like about that? What did you like? And how can you get more of what you like and less of what you don't? Sometimes it may require that you get additional experiences to inform what you like and don't like. For example, you know, you might find that you really enjoy talking about, you know, the challenges that come up with certain patient cases and QI work may be the route that you should look at. Get involved early or um, like DEI or informatics. Honestly, take an effort to complete an elective in, in these areas that you may have like small pieces of experience that, that kind of, you know, wet your whistle and piqued your interest, but really look for those opportunities to get even more experience. Um, because if you don't prioritize yourself, no one else will. And what will end up happening is that you are going to be used to help launch someone else's career and dreams. For example, you'll be told, oh yeah, um, Matt has a QI meeting, so you'll cover his rooms. And that'll be a pattern that'll often happen is that other people have meetings and opportunities that's growing their career and you're entrenched in all their clinical care too. So overall, you know, we've all been told at some point in our lives that being Black in this country, we have to work two times harder to get half as far as our white colleagues. And in anesthesiology, we, we really do have to be intentional about the, the experience and the exposure we get. You know, after residency, you may still have questions on what type of practice is right for you. And Dr. Avery Hart in season two, episodes two and three, you know, she offers locums as a potential option to explore and engage in different practice models. We do have to be vigilant about our professional interactions and be deliberate about documentation that you document in those settings where you get that sinking pit in your stomach feeling and that you review the documents about you when you're a trainee, during your six month and annual review as an attending, because the shadiness is going to happen. The question becomes not if it happens, but you know when it happens, how are you going to respond? Are you going to swallow and internalize the poison? Are, are you going to show everyone that, hey, this is poison and work towards a process that doesn't allow that kind of toxicity to manifest? And I get it. It's, it can be intimidating to shine a light on these dark spots. Often we just want to be like, man, can we just live? Why do I have to fight like injustice after injustice? And honestly, in the words of Ryan Holiday, New York Times bestselling author, he says the obstacle is the way. We can complain and bemoan our lie, or we can turn these trials into triumph. So by documenting and advocating for ourselves, seeking out experiences that will inform your decisions, pursuing your passions, these things mature you and lay the foundation for you to be not only an, an outstanding anesthesiologist, but a holistic, well-rounded individual.
Because this can be an opportunity to meaningfully change not only your experience, but those of the people who will follow you. Because in some of these programs, you're the one blazing a trail. And we know that that's going to inherently come with challenges. Now, you don't have to do this alone. I encourage you to join the Evelyn E. Henley Society. Um, It's full of people of color anesthesiologists who will provide support and personalized advice. We'll end in the words of Peter Sage, serial entrepreneur, who says the strongest trees aren't the ones that grow in the best soil, but the ones that endure the strongest winds. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sivo Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something, something to get us through the week. Am I right? I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.